Long History The Southern United States in the 1500s Part 6 Seeking a port in Florida and a prince in Georgia Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Long History. This is Part 6 of the Southern United States in the 1500s. A quick introduction for anyone new to this particular document. This text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly states of the United States, from Florida to Arkansas and most of the states in between. The expedition was headed by a man called Hernando de Soto and it began in April 1538. This narrative was originally written in Portuguese by a man known as the Gentleman of Elvas. We've split the document down into 10 minute chunks, so there are 25 parts in total. So if you fancy listening to the other 5 parts, they're just a few clicks away. And subscribe to be notified of the rest of the episodes in this series. Okay, so I'll get on with the summary of what's happening as this episode begins. Hernando de Soto has reached northern Florida in a place called Apalache. However, along the way, relations with local people have been, well, terrible. Certainly not helped by de Soto's men almost casually taking them as prisoners and enslaving them. As this episode begins, de Soto, called the governor in this text, sends a captain to the coast to find any remains of a previous disastrous expedition that had passed through these parts. That expedition was headed by a man called Narvaez and has already been serialized on long history as Florida, Texas and northern Mexico in the 1500s. As part of these explorations, de Soto also sends a man, Juan de Nasco, back to the first village they encountered in Florida called Espiritu Santo, where some Spanish men still remain. The episode continues with many details of skirmishes with local people. There are hints of gold and there is a search for a good port and for the most powerful people they can find. De Soto's ultimate mission being to find riches. The port they search for is in the Florida area but the expedition crosses over into Georgia on the 3rd of March. Although of course it wouldn't receive the name of Georgia for another couple of hundred years. They enter Georgia around the area today known as Cairo. So that's plenty of preamble, let's get on with the southern United States in the 1500s, part 6. Seeking a port in Florida and a prince in Georgia. Informed that the sea was eight leagues distant, the governor directly sent a captain thither with cavalry and infantry who found a town called Ochete, eight leagues on the way. And, coming to the coast, he saw where a great tree had been felled, the trunk split into stakes and with the limbs made into mangers. He also found the skulls of horses. With these discoveries he returned, and what was said of Narvaez was believed to be certain, that he had, there, made boats, in which he left the country and was lost in them at sea. Presently, Juan de Añasco made ready to go to the port of Espiritu Santo, taking thirty cavalry, with orders from the governor to Calderón, who had remained there, that he should abandon the town and bring all the people to Apalache. In Osachil and other towns on the way, Añasco found many people who had already become curlers. Still, to avoid detention, no captures were made, as it was not well to give the Indians sufficient time to come together. He went through the towns at night, stopping at a distance from the population for three or four hours to rest, and at the end of ten days arrived at the port. He dispatched two caravels to Cuba, in which he sent to Doña Isabel twenty women brought by him from Itara and Potano, near Calais, and, taking with him the foot soldiers and the brigantines, from point to point along the coast by sea, he went towards Palache. Calderón, with the cavalry and some crossbowmen afoot, went by land. The Indians at several places beset him and wounded some of the men. On his arrival, the governor ordered planks and spikes to be taken to the coast for building a piragua, into which thirty men entered, well armed from the bay, going to and coming from sea, waiting the arrival of the brigantines, and sometimes fighting with the natives, who went up and down the estuary in canoes. 
On Saturday, the 29th of November, in a high wind, an Indian passed through the sentries undiscovered and set fire to the town, two portions of which, in consequence, were instantly consumed. On Sunday, the 28th of December, Juan de Añasco arrived, and the governor directed Francisco Maldonado, captain of the infantry, to run the coast to the westward with 50 men and look for an entrance, proposing to go himself in that direction by land on discoveries. The same day, eight men rode two leagues about the town in pursuit of Indians, who had become so bold that they would venture up within two crossbow shots of the camp to kill our people. Two were discovered engaged in picking beans, and might have escaped, but a woman being present, the wife of one of them, they stood to fight. Before they could be killed, three horses were wounded, one of which died in a few days. Calderon, going along the coast nearby, the Indians came out against him from a wood, driving him from his course and capturing from many of his company a part of their indispensable subsistence. Three or four days having elapsed beyond the time set for the going and return of Maldonado, the governor resolved that, should he not appear at the end of eight days, he would go thence and wait no longer. When the captain arrived, bringing with him an Indian from a province called Ochus, sixty leagues from Apalache, and the news of having found a sheltered port with a good depth of water. The governor was highly pleased, hoping to find a good country ahead, and he sent Maldonado to Havana for provisions, with which to meet him at that port of his discovery, to which he would himself come by land. But, should he not reach there that summer, then he directed him to go back to Havana and return there the next season to await him, as he would make it his express object to march in quest of Ochus. Francisco Maldonado went, and Juan de Guzman remained instead captain of his infantry. Of the Indians taken in Napetuca, the treasurer, Juan Gaitan, brought a youth with him, who stated that he did not belong to that country, but to one afar in the direction of the sun's rising, from which he had been a long time absent, visiting other lands, that its name was Yupaha, and was governed by a woman, the town she lived in being of astonishing size, and many neighbouring lords her tributaries, some of whom gave her clothing, others gold in quantity. He showed how the metal was taken from the earth, melted and refined, exactly as though he had seen it all done, or else the devil had taught him how it was, so that they who knew aught of such matters declared it impossible that he should give that account without having been an eyewitness, and they who beheld the signs he made credited all that was understood as certain. Chapter 13. How the Governor went from Apalache in quest of Yupaha, and what befell him. On Wednesday the 3rd of March in the year 1540, the governor left Añaque Apalache to seek Yupaja. He had ordered his men to go provided with maize for a march through 60 leagues of desert. The cavalry carried their grain on the horses and the infantry theirs on the back, because the Indians they brought with them for service, being naked and in chains, had perished in great part during the winter. On the fourth day of the journey they arrived at a deep river, where a piragua was made, and in consequence of the violence of the current, a cable of chains was extended from shore to shore, along which the boat passed, and the horses were drawn over, swimming thereto by means of a windlass to the other side. A day and a half afterwards, they arrived at a town by the name of Capachiqui, and on Friday the 11th, the inhabitants were found to have gone off. The following day, five Christians, going in the rear of the camp to search for mortars, in which the natives beat maize, went to some houses surrounded by a thicket where many Indians lurked as spies, an equal number of whom, separating from the rest, set upon our men, one of whom fled back, 
crying out to arms. When they who could first answer to the call reached the spot, they found one of the Christians killed and the three others badly wounded, the Indians fleeing into a sheet of water, full of woods, into which the horses could not go. The governor left Kapachiki, passing through a desert, and on Wednesday, the 21st of the month, came to Tawaii. The houses of this town were different from those behind, which were covered with dry grass. Thenceforward they were roofed with cane, after the fashion of tile. They are kept very clean, some of their sides so made of clay as to look like tapia. Throughout the cold country every Indian has a winter house, plastered inside and out, with a very small door, which is closed at dark, and the fire being made within, it remains heated like an oven, so that clothing is not needed during the night time. He has likewise a house for summer, and near it a kitchen, where fire is made and bread baked. Maize is kept in a barbacoa, which is a house with wooden sides like a room, raised aloft on four posts, and has a floor of cane. The difference between the houses of the masters, or principal men, and those of the common people, is that, besides being larger than the others, they have deep balconies on the front side, with cane seats like benches, and about are many barbacoas, in which they bring together the tribute their people give them of maize, skins of deer, and blankets of the country. These are like shawls, some of them made from the inner bark of trees, and others of a grass resembling nettle, which, by treading out, becomes like flax. The women use them for covering, wearing one about the body from the waist downward, and another over the shoulder, with the right arm left free after the manner of the gypsies. The men wear but one, which they carry over the shoulder in the same way, the loins being covered with a bragueiro of deerskin, after the fashion of the woolen breechcloth that was once the custom of Spain. The skins are well dressed, the colour being given to them that is wished, and in such perfection that, when a vermilion, they look like very fine red broadcloth, and when black, the sort in use for shoes, they are of the purest. The same hues are given to blankets. The governor left Tawaii on the 24th day of March, and arrived on Thursday in the evening at a little stream, where a small bridge was made and the people passed to the opposite side. Benito Fernandes, a Portuguese, fell off from it and was drowned. So soon as the governor had crossed, he found a town, a short way on, by the name of Achese, the people of which, having no knowledge of the Christians, plunged into a river. Nevertheless, some men and women were taken, among whom was found one who understood the youth, the guide to Yupaha, which rather confirmed what he stated, as they had come through regions speaking different languages, some of which he did not understand. By one of the Indians taken there, the governor sent to call the cacique from the farther side of the river, who having come to him, thus spoke. Very high, powerful, and good master. The things that seldom happen bring astonishment. Think, then, what must be the effect on me and mine of the sight of you and your people, whom we have at no time seen, astride the fierce brutes, your horses, entering with such speed and fury into my country that we had no tidings of your coming things so altogether new as to strike awe and terror to our hearts, which it was not nature to resist, so that we should receive you with the sobriety due to so kingly and famous a lord. Trusting to your greatness and personal qualities, I hope no fault will be found in me, and that I shall rather receive favours, of which one is that with my person, my country and my vassals you will do as with your own things, and another that you tell me who you are, Whence you come, whither you go, and what it is you seek, that I may the better serve you. 
the governor responded that he greatly thanked him for his goodwill, as much so as though he had given him a great treasure. He told him that he was the child of the sun, coming from its abode, and that he was going about the country, seeking for the greatest prince there, and the richest province. The cacique stated that Father Arm was a great lord whose territory was called Osute. He gave him a guide who understood the language to conduct him thither, and the governor commanded his subjects to be released. A high cross, made of wood, was set up in the middle of the town yard, and, as time did not allow more to be done, the Indians were instructed that it was put there to commemorate the suffering of Christ, who was God and man, that he had created the skies and the earth, and had suffered for the salvation of all, and therefore that they should revere that sign, and they showed by their manner that they would do so. The governor set out on the first day of April, and advanced through the country of the chief, along up a river, the shores of which were very populous. On the 4th, he went through the town of Altamaca, and on the 10th arrived at Osute. The cacique sent him a present by 2,000 Indians of many rabbits and partridges, maize, bread, many dogs and two turkeys. On account of the scarcity of meat, the dogs were as much esteemed by the Christians as though they had been fat sheep. There was such want of meat and salt that oftentimes in many places a sick man had nothing for his nourishment and was wasting away to bone, of some ale that elsewhere might have found a remedy, and would die of pure debility, saying, Now if I had but a slice of meat or only a few lumps of salt I should not thus die. The Indians never lacked meat. With arrows they get abundance of deer, turkeys, rabbits and other wild animals, being very skilful in killing game which the Christians were not, and even if they had been, there was not the opportunity for it, they being on the march the greater part of their time, nor did they besides ever dare to straggle off. Such was the craving for meat, that when the six hundred men who followed Soto arrived at a town, and found there twenty or thirty dogs, he who could get sight of one and kill him, thought he had done no little, and he who proved himself so active, if his captain knew of it, and he forgot to send him a quarter, would show his displeasure, and make him feel it in the watches, or in any manner of labour that came along, with which he could bear upon him. This is an episode of details. De Soto appears to find a good port area, and agrees to send a man called Maldonado to Cuba for supplies, and to meet him back in that port. However, he hears from a young man, a local, that there are rich countries to the north and east, which appears to be the reason why De Soto leaves the Florida coast and heads up into Georgia. As we will see throughout this text, De Soto is in a constant search for richer lands. The local people are never far away. They flee their villages, they are captured by the Spanish, many have died in captivity. In this episode, not for the first time, we hear something very rare in these Spanish documents. A rare example of local voices being quoted directly, although they are of course filtered through layers of Portuguese and possibly Spanish narrative, and then translated into English, don't forget which means it's hard to believe that these words are the direct transcription of what these local people said, but nevertheless it's the closest we get. In the next episode, De Soto and his men cross Georgia, identifiable by a number of rivers that are crossed. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. If possible, before you go, please give it a like and share with anyone you think might be interested. Thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 6, seeking a port in Florida and a prince in Georgia. Goodbye.